Oftentimes, people are so focused on other people's actions that they don't recognize their own flaws or where they're lacking in reaching their potential. I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. And in today's sermon, focusing on self and not others to reach full spiritual potential, we will analyze this concept in the Gospel of John in the 12th chapter and those following. Hopefully, today's sermon will help us to see how we can improve ourselves by paying attention to ourselves and looking internally to where our shortcomings exist so that we can overcome what's lacking in us so that we can reach our full potential in Christ. A lot of times people will tell you that they want to be the best version of themselves and that they want to do all that they can for the Lord. But oftentimes what happens is we start worrying about situations beyond our control and we start to turn our attention from ourselves to others. And that's at the detriment of our growth, of our spiritual development, of our management of sin. And I say it's easy to do that because when you look at somebody else, it's easy to see their flaws. It's easy to recognize what they need to do to change. But when you look at yourself, it requires a more honest observation. And in that honest observation, at times we have to uncover dark truths that would rather be left unacknowledged. But if we're to be what we desire what God desires us to be, we have to learn to focus our attentions on selves, no matter what else is going on around us. Because what happens when we focus on other situations, other people, and things that have no real impact on our development and growth with Christ is we start to take energies away from what we're supposed to be doing and the growth that we can have. And it also hinders us from seeing what Jesus wants us to do with our lives and what he's doing in our lives. See, God doesn't need our help in assessing the next person's spirituality, their growth, or who they are. What God wants us to do is to focus on us and our relationship with him. And I'm not saying that we don't see what we see. I'm not saying that we don't acknowledge the, um, the, the sin in other people's lives. I'm not even saying that we don't help in situations to where we can help. But what I'm saying is do not let your attention, your focus on others keep you from being who Christ calls you to be. And as we keep this in mind, just re- remind ourselves that last week we talked about It's not all about us. It's about being able to be utilized by God to help others to to grow in faith and also understanding that God wants to get glory through what he does for us. And the best way that we could do that is to be attuned to what God's doing in our lives and not ever get prideful in the fact that God's using us, but be appreciative of the fact that God is not he's not holding us to our lowest point but elevating us to a point 
to where he gets glory and we get a little bit of that glory for being utilized by him. And also, we know that God's reading hearts. He knows all hearts. So we can't fake it. And even if we're at a low point, that doesn't mean that that's where he'll keep us. We're going to look at a few verses in John towards the end of Jesus's earthly ministry as he's about to go to the cross to to be glorified. And then we're going to look at a passage after Jesus has uh, risen. And it's going to highlight the importance of being self-centered and focused on our own conditions, our own positions with Christ so that we can be utilized by him and reach our full spiritual potential. The first one that we want to look at is John 12. Second one's going to be a chapter later, John 13. And the last one is in John 21. And the first one in John 12, we recognize as you get to John 12, what has happened in John 11 is that Lazarus has just risen from the dead. And as we're heading into the Passover where Jesus is going to be crucified and he's going to be emplaced in the tomb just like he called Lazarus out of, he's at this feast. And here we have Lazarus, we have Mary, we have Martha, and we have Jesus' disciples. And there's even some who come just to see Lazarus and to see the fact that this man who was once dead is now alive. But in the midst of all of that, we have one person, according to John, who's so focused on the act of Mary that they miss the point of what's really going on. John 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put in. Then Jesus said, let her alone against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. So what just happened? Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, along with Jesus' disciples, they're at this feast in preparation for the Passover, and they're sitting down, getting ready to eat. Martha's in the kitchen preparing what they're going to feast on, and we have Mary come out of deep appreciation for who Jesus is, what he's done for her raising up his brother and everything else that he has done in her life. She comes and she utilizes some oil that they say was worth a whole year's livings. A denarius was a day's wages for a poor person. So what she had was enough to provide for a whole year's sustenance for a person. And she utilizes this 
to honor Jesus. And what he says is this is preparation for my burial. But she utilizes this to honor Jesus because she appreciates who he is and what he's done for her. And she recognizes that what I'm doing for Christ, while it might look like a lot to the world, is really small compared to what he's done for me. Because she appreciates the relationship that she has with Christ. She understands that the things that she gives to Christ in this world far are far outweighed by what he has already given her and what he will give her in the next. In one version, it says that the Pharisees, the Jews who were at this feast watching, they said if he knew what kind of woman, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman it was that's doing this to him. Judah says, we could have used this and used the money for the poor. And everybody's focused on Mary and none of them are focused on themselves and the fact that they're in the presence of God. They're not recognizing what God has done for them in Jesus Christ and bringing truth and in being with them and embodying the law and trying to lead them into eternal relationship with God and present a kingdom of heaven in its entirety so that they can have this life, so that they can be appreciative of the relationship that Mary is appreciative of. No. All they see is Mary and who Mary is and what she's doing. And they overlook the fact that their hearts are not towards God like Mary's is because they're not looking at themselves. They're looking at someone else. And it's very easy for Judas to look at somebody else because Judas has had the money back. And he's thinking, if we would have just gotten that oil and sold it, then that would have been more money for me. But how does he disguise his, his sin? How does he disguise his flaws? He says, we could have used this money for the poor. And a lot of people, in trying to find fault in others, what they're actually trying to do is cover up the fault of themselves. And so they will feign a fake piety, knock down others, so they would distract from the fact that they're flawed. But we're all flawed. And it's easy to not acknowledge your flaws when you are highlighting something that somebody else is doing that you don't agree with. That's not necessarily bad. But what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't acknowledge and point out Judas's fact that he's a thief. He doesn't even treat Judas any different in what we're going to touch upon or we must skip over. But what he doesn't even treat Judas any different when he washes his Judas's feet in the next chapter, knowing that he's going to take those same feet and go betray him to The Jewish officials, no. What does he do? He just tells them, leave her alone. Because she has done this for my burying. You will always have the poor with you. But me, you will not always have with you. When we recognize the fact that our presence with God is only limited, we should never put even what appears to be a good deed over honoring God. Because of the honor that we 
could fake as good as Judas says, selling this and giving the money to the poor, it will never replace the honor and glory that we do give to God. And we got to recognize to put things in their proper place, to value things properly. Mary, this money that I could have got for this oil is not worth the fact that I utilize this oil to anoint Jesus' feet. Judas, I could take this money and I could have pleased my flesh forgetting the fact that his soul is worth much more. Because what Judas will do is later on he'll go and he'll sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He'll recognize that he has sold out to Christ and when they crucify Jesus, he'll go try to return the money and what does he do? He goes and hangs himself. And the very monies that he got for betraying Christ, they said, we can't accept this. And they go and buy a potter's field to bury the dead in there. You see, Judas didn't properly evaluate his relationship with God. And in not evaluating it properly, he took something material, something of this world, and lost his soul for it. He looked at what Mary was doing in washing the feet of Christ and tried to to disguise his sin and said, we could have did something better with that. But he was a thief. And Jesus knows all of this. And Jesus is aware of his flaws, of our flaws. And he doesn't condemn us in the moment, but he offers and extends grace so that we can work through what it is that we're going through so that we can be utilized for his purposes. But we can't get there if we're looking at others. If we see that Mary is doing something good for Jesus and we perceive that we could do a better thing, we won't see what we should be doing. See, Judas should have used that time to reflect on his soul. He should have used that time to reflect on the fact that I'm putting money above Christ. I've been given and trusted this bag holding this purse and utilizing the funds, but I've also been going in it and taking of it as I want, as I see fit. And they called him a thief. And what's even more telling is that God knows our hearts and he entrusts the thief with the money as to give him enough rope to hang himself. You know why? Because God's not concerned about the money. God can make money come, make money go. He can provide the things that he needs. He doesn't need money. He wants our hearts. And what Judas didn't understand was that the money was getting in the way of him giving his heart to God. And God had given him the money. You hold the bag. And he had taken it. And he had idolized it. And he allowed it to cause his downfall. You see, when we don't judge others, it gives us opportunity to properly judge ourselves and to see what it is that we need to work on. But also, when we don't put so much attention onto others, we can also learn ourselves better, strengthen ourselves, so that we will not fall into the traps that many people fall into who do not have this self-reflection practice in their lives. 
If you turn with me to the 13th chapter of John, and let's look at the 18th verse. And see, now this is in reference to Jesus about to be betrayed. This is after Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. And this is what happens. He tells them, I know those who I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And that's Psalm 41. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciples whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. You see, we get so much focused on what the possibility is that somebody's going to do that we haven't rooted ourselves in what we won't do. You see, the disciples, they hear Jesus, and he says, one of you will betray me, yet none of them have gotten to the point to where their faith will say, no, not I, and mean it. Not out of arrogance, not out of pride, but out of the depth of faith that says that I will not betray the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, they're all questioning Will it be me? And that's what happens when we're focused on the possibility of somebody doing wrong that we allow ourselves to almost be a person that may. A person that won't demonstrate the type of faith that Jesus will have and hold strong even when everybody else is susceptible to demonstrating a lack of faith. Let's think about that. Peter asks John, whom we believe is a reference to the beloved disciple, who is it that's going to betray you, Christ? And none of them are sure enough about their standing with Christ to where they say, I won't betray you. All of them say, will it be me? And sometimes that's where we're at in our walk with God. We haven't girded up our, our, our loins to the point to where we're so set in our faith that we know that there's just some things that we won't do. And one of those things is we will not betray Christ no matter what happens. And they're so blind to the fact that they don't even recognize that when Jesus dips the bread and gives it to Judas and tells him to hurry up and do what you do, that that's the one that's going to betray him. They think that Judas is going to do something else because they're caught up in trying to figure out who it is that they can't recognize the signs that Jesus told them, that they can't 
exclude themselves from that list because they haven't deepened their faith to that point. And we fall victim to that sometimes. We don't establish, root ourselves in Christ to the fact that we are assured in our own selves that there's certain lines that we won't cross. That there's things that we for sure will not do that will go against our faith. That we still walk around and question if we still might sin in this regard, knowing that that's not what Christ would have us to do. And when somebody who is going to do that very act, we can't recognize them in our midst. One would think that the apostles, the disciples, all those present would see Judas get the sop and leave. And Jesus says, do what you do quickly and will recognize that something is fishy about this situation. That while he might be going to get some food for the preparation for Passover, that he might be going to give out some monies because he has a purse for these alms, that he might also be going to do something against this Christ whom we have been following because Jesus has just told us that somebody is going to betray me. So, as we look at ourselves, we have to recognize We have to learn to not focus so much on the sins that a person could commit in our midst, but root ourselves to the fact that that's a sin that we won't commit. No matter who else will do it, I won't. Even if that person is in my very same household, I will not allow myself to fall like that because I am committed to Christ. And this is not a commitment that is based upon ego, that's based upon pride, but it's just a faith that has been rooted because we have come to know that Jesus is the Christ and what he's calling me to is greater, is greater than the possibility of that sin that I could commit because of a moment of weakness. He's greater than this momentary pleasure. He's greater than this selling him out. And he's worth whatever we have to go through so we don't sell him out because he does not sell us out. And even when he says that somebody's going to betray me, he doesn't give up Judas because of his love and his his mercy for his followers. How easy would it have been for Jesus to get to Judas' feet and say, you just talked about Mary washing my feet. You're about to betray me. I'm not going to stoop myself down and humble myself to wash your feet. Matter of fact, everybody, he is going to betray me. No. He allows Judas to have his dignity. He extends Judas grace. And he allows Judas to reveal himself to his brothers and sisters and doesn't put him out on front street because God still operates with an integrity that shows love to people. He still operates out of mercy that he doesn't condemn us until after the fact. And he's trying to give us each and every opportunity to tune our hearts to his, to repent of our evil ways and walk in his righteous paths and let go 
of that shallow sin. Let go of condemning, judging, watching others and focus on ourselves so that he will have the true reign in our hearts and that we will live up to the spiritual potential that he wants us to and allow the spirit to guide us. But in doing that, we must never become full of pride. We must never think that we're at a place that we're not. Because just a few verses later, we have Simon Peter. Who's not thinking properly. Who's judging himself against others. And this is what he says in verse 36 of the same chapter. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither thou goest? Jesus answered him, Whether I go, thou canst follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down my life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The clock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. In another passage it says, Peter says, even if they deny you, I won't deny you. But what Jesus says is, Peter, you're going to deny me. Between the lines, Peter, you're full of pride right now. You're thinking greater of yourself than what you actually are. Your faith is not as deep as you think it is. And what's really going to happen is when you see me arrested and tried and you see the faith that I'm about to suffer, your faith is not going to hold and you will deny me. What does that tell us? That as our our, our faith grows, we also must be honest with who we are. And to be honest with who we are, we must really take a deep look at ourselves And we can't just play like Christians. We have to actually be Christians. Because if we're not rooted in Christ, when the trouble comes, the hard times comes, we will deny Christ. And Jesus already knows this. So he tells Peter, the crock's going to crow three times. And how you're feeling right now is going to change. The faith that I need you to have is not quite there. (coughs) Peter, you need to work on yourself so that you can be where it is that you think you are and that you can be who it is that I want you to be. But to be there, you have to take a long, hard look at yourself. Because we're all going to go through tough situations that cause us to dig in deep and to bring out something that only God has placed in us so that we will not fall, falter, and be influenced by the ways of this world. Peter gets by the fire. Pretty sure it's cold. He gets around the soldiers. I'm pretty sure they're intimidating. He sees Jesus. I'm pretty sure he was scared. And they say, aren't you the man that I saw with him? A while ago, Peter said, my faith will allow me to be able to die with you. But when that moment came, he wasn't able to live up to those very words that he professed. 
Why? Because he hadn't taken a deep look at himself and really saw who he was. Something that we all must do if we're to be utilized by God for the purposes of Christ. Because when we don't recognize what it is that 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 Jesus is calling us to, we put ourselves in danger of living in this shallow faith. And when it gets tested, we falter. And when we start focusing on other people, as we'll highlight in this, this next passage, we miss the point of what we're supposed to be doing. And I think, I think there's something to be said to minding your own business as well. Because another person's past may look a little bit greener. But if it's not for us, it's going to cause us to not appreciate what God is putting us, sending us, bringing us through for his purposes. Turn with me to John 21. Jesus knew Peter would deny him. Jesus looked at Peter when he was denied. Jesus goes to the cross, dies, knows that all of the, the disciples have scattered. Strike the sheep and the flock will scatter. Strike the shepherd and the uh, sheep will uh, scatter. They've abandoned him. He knows that this is going to happen, but he loves them still. And so we get back to the 21st chapter in John, and what we have is Jesus restores Peter, and I believe he restores them all. But in Peter's restoration, we have this passage to where we're all familiar with, where Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Yes, and he asks him three times, and then he gives him a charge to love his sheep, to feed my sheep. And then what happens after that, Jesus tells him. What verse are we at? We're at verse uh, 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, said unto Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus said unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is it to thee? Follow thou me. You see what Peter's doing? He's focused on what's going to happen to the disciple whom Jesus loved. The one who was laying on Jesus' breast to ask, who is it that's going to betray you? Why, Peter? Why are you so worried about him? Because Jesus has just told you. He says, when thou was young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whether thou wouldest. But now thou be old. When thou get old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. And Jesus was speaking about the death that Peter was going to have. So what he's saying, Peter, you are going to come to a point when you get older to where you're going to die for me and people are going to take you to that death. You had freedoms in your youth, but that freedom will be taken away as you get older. And they understood this to be the sign of Peter's death. And it is told that Peter... He was crucified, but upside down for Christ because he didn't see himself worthy to be crucified like Jesus. But Peter, you have a path that I have set for you. You are going to walk that path. But what about him? 
What does it matter what happens to him? Because you have a path that you must walk, Peter. You're so worried about the disciple whom Jesus loved that you are not focused on what Jesus just told you. You're going to be carried to your death. And then Peter, he gets some news that I'm pretty sure was kind of stick to the stomach. What is it if I care if he stays alive until I come back? You see, we don't like to hear we're going to go through bad and somebody else is going to go through good. Sometimes that's kind of jarring. But Jesus didn't say that he was going to live until he came back. He said, what is it if? I should that he tarries till I comes back. And you see what happens when you worry about other people? You mix up the message. A rumor was started that John would never die. That's not what Jesus said. He said, what is it if I wish that he tarried till I came back? So focused on John that people were worried about what's going to happen to John and not worried about the path that God had called for them to walk. You see, sometimes we see people walking, being blessed by God in ways that we desire, but God has another path for us, and sometimes that calls for more suffering, it calls for more persecution, but it's all for the purposes of God, for the glorification of his son, and he has put us on the path that he knows that we can handle with trust and reliance on his strength, but we have to learn not to look at other people's path. Because when we're looking at somebody else's path, we don't see it quite as God sees it. We see it from human eyes. We mix up what's really happening to them. And it is uh, said that John outlived all the other apostles. So I'm pretty sure that this rumor started taking feet as the other apostles start getting martyred and killed to say that all the apostles were killed for the cause of Christ except for John. So as he's alive and as he's outliving his contemporaries, I'm pretty sure that people were saying he's going to live until Jesus comes back. And they have to correct that in this gospel. That's not what Jesus said. But people are so focused on somebody else that they don't focus on themselves. Peter's so focused on what might happen to John that he doesn't focus on the fact that Jesus said, you are going to die for me. And so we must learn to look at ourselves, look at who we are in relationship with God, and not focus on what other people are doing. Because when we focus on what other people are doing, sometimes that can be used as a mask, as a foil, to hide what we're not doing right. To disguise all false claims of piety to distract from the attention of the evil that we're doing amongst and with God's people. But when you look at yourselves and you recognize your sin, you can deal with it. When you recognize your temptation, through faith you can overcome it. And when you recognize that Jesus has called each and every one of us to a path of ministry, 
we can walk it no matter where it leads us, knowing that God is faithful and his will will be done. And we will receive the reward that he desires for us, even if it means that somebody else walks a different path, has a different ministry than we do. So we must be attuned to who we are with God. And in doing that means, while we acknowledge others, we try to help each other grow, we acknowledge what wrong is and avoid it, we pay attention to who God has called us to be, work on ourselves, so that no matter what anybody else in this world is doing, it won't impact our standing with God. We don't want to be like Judas. We don't want to be like Peter in these examples. We just want to be who God called us to be. And we can do that by paying attention to who he called us to be and not focusing on others. He has given us all that we need to be successful. Let's live in that. And the first step to being successful is recognizing where we stand with God. And when we recognize that, it should cause us to say, you know what? There have been some things that I'm doing that's not quite right. Let me get in line with God's will. So we must repent. Change our thinking to put on the mindset of God so that we think as God thinks. And the best way to do that is to start studying scripture. Read for yourself so that you can be filled with God's word. And in his word, you will find out that the only way to be a Christian is through baptism, admittance in his church. The same thing the apostles did, we have to do. The same thing that they taught, we have to study. So when Jesus establishes the church in Acts 2, repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you will be added to the church. And if you live faithful, Worrying about yourself, not others. Worrying about yourself, God will call you home into his eternal presence one day. That's our promise. That's our hope. And we can't get there unless we learn to look at ourselves and see where we are in a distance away from God or how close we are walking with God and do all that we can to strengthen that relationship, knowing that God is going to do what we can to ensure that we receive his promises. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon in response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins 
and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.